Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the first ever My Life in Rugby podcast by me, Kaylon Scully, or as I go by online, Kaylon S. Rugby. For those who may not know me, I write articles on, you guessed it, rugby, covering everything covering everything from URC to Champions Cup and the international game. Now, almost a year on from my first published article, I ventured over to the podcast world, starting with this big interview. My first guest is Ireland international and Connacht legend, Mr. Jack Carthy. 11 years on from his debut in green, Jack now sits as the top point scorer for Connacht, having amassed over 1,000 points and almost 200 caps for his native province with a further 11 caps for Ireland. So without any further ado, welcome to the pod, Jack. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Uh, it was a long, long time ago we did our first one. So um, yeah. we go back, go back a, a long time. So Yeah, I've, I've noted here. So that was 2015, which is a bit a, a bit of a length. But to think like the sports career is short enough as it is, but like then you were just breaking through as a starter. I think you might have been still in the academy. Now you're Connacht captain, Irish international, played at the World Cup, got a Pro 14 winners medal. Been it's been a good couple of years since then, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Lots of lots of ups and downs within that, but um, I think if I had, if you had said that to me back eleven years ago, I'm trying to think, would I be probably be surprised in regard to the the captaincy part, um. It probably was something that I didn't strive for or had in my, um, I suppose, in my ambitions back then. But I think the rest of them would have been something that I would have aspired to to do. So sitting here now, looking back on that, it's definitely something to uh, be proud of and definitely to to kick on with. Yeah, that's that's something I was going to touch on later, but we can get into it now. Was it something that took you by surprise? Because it wasn't. It's so like you were appointed officially captain last last season, midway through the season, there thereabouts. But it wasn't really something you'd done too much over your first 150, 170-odd games for Connacht up to that point. So when Andy Friend came to you about taking up the, the captaincy gig full-time, was it a surprise or was it just, you know, senior captain, part of the leadership group, the way things go now? Was it just, okay, yeah, I'm glad it's an honour? Uh, well, I would have, I would have been, I would have captained all, um, the teams underage through Buccaneers, um, underage teams and Connacht, Connacht A's, um, and I suppose in terms of the game that the game that it came about was Munster away. Jared was injured. It was quite a young team that was was playing. So, um, in respects, was probably surprised because I hadn't played entirely well the week before, but um. I think what it, I suppose it gave me, it suited me anyways. Definitely, it's definitely suited my game. Um, at the time it, when it happened, and I think it uh, gave me a new, um, level of responsibility, which definitely helped me. Um, I suppose helped my performances as well. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it, again, like like anything, there's um, there's good there's good parts to it, and there's or I'm not gonna say bad parts, but different parts, stressful parts to it, but all come part and parcel and um yeah it's it's a massive honor and there's that kind of responsibility that goes to it with it but as well as i kind of as, as i alluded to like the game is very different now it's not just one captain it's it's the leadership group these days which is which is the big thing and is that like is it that bit easier now so like when you came through you're looking at 11 years ago would it have just been one captain and everything has changed or is this just a natural development that now it's 
it's almost it's a team effort everything now is a team effort as opposed to just there's your captain and that's it yeah it's it's a bit it's well i've seen various different ones when i initially came through when pat was here he had three club captains and then it got it was mull then with a leadership group um i've been in and out of various leadership groups and then this year probably is the first year in connect that we haven't had a formal leadership group um it's just been myself as captain jared as vice captain um and then obviously there's leaders in and amongst the squad who we kind of um tap the shoulders of to try uh lead on various things whether in in certain weeks so it's been a very different one in in that regard um because there hasn't been a, a formal i suppose formal group where there would have been maybe other years yeah it's it's interesting because obviously the game is like as as people to say it's a very new um professional sport and it evolves it evolves all the time but We'll we'll just go back go back to the start really. Um, you grew up in in quite the sporting household, and not not just rugby. A lot of people would say that's that's better to to take on all sports. So you would have played underage international football as well as minor Gaelic football. Your brothers have played AIL. Um, your brother Luke has played MLR and, and won it, and like he's represented the USA in the international stage. So like it must have been boys being boys it must have been somewhat competitive when you were younger but also it must have it must have been a big help for you coming through having a, ver- a very talented band of brothers there all playing similar positions yeah no it was um like our, yeah our front garden would have been absolutely destroyed from lads doing sliding tackles um myself ben and luke playing against each other luke usually ended up being in goals and then myself and ben um would fight it out then but yeah no it was always it was always enjoyable um i think it, it definitely helped luke luke got the the brunt of it being the youngest um myself and ben picking on him but you can definitely see from his competitive nature and his um i suppose will to win from being the youngest there's obviously various um levels of research and studies done on it in terms of the youngest youngest brother um or youngest siblings but he's um yeah, no, it was, it was a great thing growing up. It was nice that we, there was always three of us that you could kind of, you know, pass to each other or kick to someone. It wasn't kind of you in a wall. So, um, yeah, we definitely very, very fond memories when we were when we were younger. But, and even just playing other sports then, playing Gaelic football, playing soccer, obviously you're a very natural footballer as as an out-half, as out-halves go even. You're a very natural footballer. And that must have... I don't want to say sports are one sport's better for this this side of things, but it must have been good to ha- to be have a rounded development of your of your athleticism. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely the 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 soccer aspect of it in terms of playing with your head up, it gives you uh, an ability, I suppose, in rugby to scan and especially that coupled with Gaelic football, you're always kind of looking ahead for space. That obviously helps with the aspect of, you know, scanning backfields and seeing where space is in backfields. So I definitely think that aspect of both Gaelic football and soccer helped me. Um, I think something that's probably underrated in terms of GEA is the robustness it build, gives players in terms of, um, you know, the amount of running um, and even just the load players are able to tolerate from a young age. I think the various different movements between, you know, soccer and Gaelic um they they massively massively benefit you as an athlete whatever you went into if i ended up going into or if someone went into soccer and they played both rugby and ga you know you'd get the 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 benefits from the movement styles in rugby and the robustness from playing rugby um, and i definitely think you kind of see fellas who just go down the one route in terms of you know i'm going to play rugby a lot of them end up with these kind of soft tissue injuries from not i suppose having a a robustness that they would have had from playing maybe a variety of them. Yeah. And funny enough, that's kind of mildly related to our next questions because I was going to go on, like I mentioned the AIL there previously and, and you would have came through the AIL system. And although people say it's forgotten about, there's still quite a few players in the academy that, you, that you're training with on a daily basis who are playing AIL. Do you think it's improved since the days you were there? Obviously, you're not playing. You can't give a first... Um, an account from from actually playing in it, but do you think the AIL has improved? Watching, you know, now that you're a senior player, watching the younger players, or is it just 
a brilliant pathway that we're lucky to have that as well as schools here in Ireland? Uh, I don't think it has improved, no. Um, I think anyways, the, like, look, when I, when, it's kind of, as you said, it is difficult. I know when I was playing, I was playing, um, you know, the level of rugby that I was playing with week in, week out with AAL, there's kind of a difference between that and I suppose an A game, whereas in these AAL games, you know, you're playing against grown men, you know what I mean? So yeah. as a teenager, it was, I suppose, daunting in some respects, especially in the higher the higher level and the higher levels of the league, you're playing against fully grown men. Um, I think maybe where it's got now, you know, there's, there's the, uh, look, I'm speaking from experience. It, it does seem to be, especially the, the clubs in Connacht, they obviously aren't as competitive. Maybe, you know, Galwegians have been, are obviously struggling this year. Um, Bucks have been going well, as have um, Corinthians. It's just, I think it's just very, very different. Um, I do think it, it is important for the players to be playing that they need to be playing some sort of rugby, but I definitely think there can be, um, you can get a lot more from it, if you get me. Um, yeah. Again, look, I'm not I'm not there. I know from the lads the lads speaking um, who are playing with Buccaneers at the moment and are underneath Eddie, they're loving it. Um, they're obviously top of the league now. and be, It would be massive for them if they got promoted to 1A because it would give... You know, it's a, 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 another step up to another higher standard and bridging the gap between, I suppose, um, AIL to A, like it'd be similar le- level to to A. Um, and then some of the players, you know, they're fully grown men. So, um, yeah, I think it has a long way to go, but um, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. It's probably worth noting as well, when you were there, um, t- to the best of my knowledge now, that you would have had yourselves, Weegians and Corinthians, all in one B in around the same time. Yes, and then yeah. you'd have had the likes of yourself, Dave Heffernan, Dennis Buckley, Finley Beelham, and other lads who were younger players at Connacht at the time, all playing. So it's it's definitely different in that regard because it's just like, books are the highest, and then I don't know if there's any Connacht team in two A at the moment. So it's 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 definitely worth noting that it's you obviously played against each other at a at quite a high standard, whereas now it is a little bit more spaced out. To yeah, that's a fair, to way, say. fair way of putting it. And then, like I suppose, the the pinnacle, maybe not the pinnacle, but one of the one of the big things for a nineteen twenty year old is getting to play at the World Cup. And you were there in twenty twelve in South Africa. I remember I remember watching it here on I think TG Gara that had it at the time. It was, it was a good World Cup. It was entertaining World Cup, I must say. But that was that was quite a, a strong squad. Like you got Tyburn, Jack Conan, Tyke Burlong. JJ Hanran, Ian Henderson, Kieran Marmion, Luke McGrath, Alan O'Connor, Niall Scannell, Josh Van der Fleer, Chris Farrell. Like that's 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 a lot of talent. Like what was it? Three of those were in the team of the year last year. Do you ever think did you ever think then that oh some of these lads are going to be some of the best players in the world? Because like even the England squad I went over the other day, like they had some serious talent South Africa. Like it was just it was probably starting to turn. It was probably a golden generation in some ways of World Cups because it kind of comes and goes. But did you ever think that a lot of that Irish team were going to go on and become provincial stalwarts and international stalwarts just from training with them? Never mind playing, but just training and watching these guys. No, it, it wouldn't really be. Look, there was a few lads there who had already kind of broken into teams. I know um, there was one or two kind of on the cusp to train. I know Hendy maybe had played a couple of times. And a few others had, but no, I I didn't kind of see it at that. That really was maybe a thing where some players, um, you know, like like so maybe Paddy Jackson, he had started playing with Ulster at the time, but no, I didn't really kind of see it as that. It was more just of a thing. Yeah, you're, you're quite naive at that age. You think this is the be all and end all. Like I've seen players who, you know, have been the best players under twenties, and then two or three years later, they're not actually playing rugby whatsoever. And I think it's a it's a pivotal point in players' career that they can build it out to be this massive, massive thing. But realistically, what unfortunately, when you're finished playing under twenties and when you've come out the other end of it, no one really cares what you know. No one really cares of kind of what what has happened. It, what really that's when the, the the work starts kind of after that because you've I suppose had a rep. Uh, you could have a reputation up until that point, but the minute it's finished, it's all kind of forgotten about because you're into a senior setup then and. I suppose a lot of the players who have are in that setup have probably have went and done that. Some may have not, but they've managed to kick on and get themselves professional contracts. So you're kind of like a 
gone from being a big fish in a small pond to being a small f- fish in a big pond once you finish it up. So mm-hmm. it's um it's obviously a, a great thing to do. I was delighted I did it. Um, but yeah, it's it's mad to think some of the names there kind of was very talented talented team. And it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to talk about the the position group of of halfbacks. Um, so like Luke McGrath, Kieran Marmion, yourself, JJ Hanrahan. And I think Carl Marsh could have been the, the third out half. But it's funny because in another world, you know, J.J. Hanron left Munster at a young age, Carl Marsh left Leinster at a young age. It, like we may never we may have forgotten about them, as you said, because the, the you just move on so quickly, you just have to kind of sink or swim just to some regard. But to have players like Luke McGrath and Kieran Marmion, both over 200 caps for their province. The more than the more than yourself to have lads like there, like them, there, like you'd have played with Kieran, Kieran a bit coming up. Did that help then? Because obviously that connection, when you're thrown in with lads who you don't know, you might have only played against twice a season, if most. Did that kind of connection help? Because if I remember, there was a cup, there was a good few Connacht lads on that squad, or one of them anyway, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, yeah, so that year was the year we had won. So that was the year, the first year Connacht had won the Interprovincial Grand Slam. So there was a good number of us with that 20s team. Um, I suppose, yeah, look, I've been with Kieran for for so, so long now at this stage. It's it's actually mad when you think about it. Um, I think it's more of a thing that we, we, we both know what each other likes. Um, it's just a good understanding. It's not even, a, uh, it's more nearly a tele, tele, telepathic kind of understanding we have at this stage because we've been with each other and played with each other, I'd say, I'd say of the almost of the games I played for Connacht, I'd say, oof, I'm I'm presuming 120 or 130 of them would be have been with Kieran. So it's uh, and that's just a Connacht. We've all the underage ones as well. It's actually mad to think about it. How many games we would have would have had over the 11, 12, 13 years or so, maybe more, 15 years. It's it's absolutely nuts to think. But um, yeah, look, I think you have to be flexible in terms of who you're playing with, have an understanding of what their strengths are. Um and I we I have that definitely with Kieran. The times I would have played with Luke, whether it be with Ireland, uh senior level uh, or underage, we would have had that as well. No, and in fairness, like yourself and Kieran, you didn't ju- just happen to fall into 200 caps because no one does. Like a lot of people play 20 times for their province. Some people play 10, 50. But to play the guts of 200 games for your province, you know, Kieran has maybe 30 or 40 Ireland caps, you have 11. Like, it's, it doesn't happen by accident because you're, you're fine players and, and the longevity as well. Because, like, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of big second rows are out there trying to ruffle up the, the halfbacks. Yeah. And when you started, like, this, I found this mad. So you played your first game for Connacht in 2012, 2012-13 season against Glasgow. Two years later, when Dan Parks retired, you were given the given the reins. You played all twenty seven games. I didn't that know that. Yeah. Like that, that. That's that's not something we've probably seen now because, like every every province seems to have three quality out halves at the moment, which is great. Long may it continue. But then the season after that, your season was cut short due to a freak accident. Do you want to? Touching that a small bit for people who don't know, that was the year you went on to win the league. But you, you happened to have a freak accident in was it Dubai. Yeah, uh, so it was the when was it? So it would have been yeah, we played Scarlets at home, and then we had a week off. Uh, so I went to went to Dubai, um, and I think it was on the Friday morning. Just it was so innocuous, like I, I, I that. So I think it was that previous. So it was 2015, the 2015 World Cup, I was over in, in London um, and I got like a real bad infection, like real bad. I wasn't able to board a flight. I had to stay um, in Cardiff Airport. It was when Ireland played France, I think, in the World Cup. I came back, I was flying back to Connacht and I was like so ill, looked at my whole body was um, basically went, not, I'm not going to say I was sept, um, septicemia, but it wasn't far off. So blood infect had a bad infection. Uh, got off the flight anyways got rid of that was in hospital for a few days and a couple of months later a uh, holiday in Dubai going down a water slide nicked it off the like a corner like just as I was kind of going around the bend I hit it 
thought I was winded. Um, all of a sudden, then just kind of went from, I suppose, pretty downhill from that. I woke up um, later on that evening, couldn't uh, move in the bed. I uh, went to the hospital and then they were like, yeah, well, you've you've actually rupture in your spleen. So we need to try clot it or if we don't be able to clot it, we're going to have to remove it. Uh, so we weren't able to actually clot, clot it and had to get it taken out over there. Um, suppose when I look back on it and we'll probably get into into it now. I, I know it's a real weird one, but I think it was definitely um, like obviously I missed out on all the stuff in 2016, which is something I look back um I look back with obviously with great disappointment. You can kind of look at it. Wood Connacht have went on to win a uh, the title if I was playing. Who knows? Like they may not have won it if I was still fit. Um so there's that way to look at it. And then I suppose on a personal level, I suppose if that didn't happen to me, I'd wonder whether I would have had the hunger um to go on and do the things I did thereafter. You know what I mean? Like so I think up until that point, look, I was I was a good pro. I was a good player, but I don't think I had the level of consistency that came after that, which led to me getting picked at Ireland. Yeah, um, that, that's like that's very honest as well, because a lot of people will say, "Look, you make you make you make a you make a bad thing is only a bad thing if you don't make something out of it." You know what I mean? And and that yeah. goes across everything in all walks of life. Um, I definitely think. Like I didn't think at the time in 2016 when we when we when we did win the Pro 14, I didn't like was like, damn Jesus, this is, you know, after kind of braining this by not being involved. However, it may maybe two or three, maybe a year later, two years later, kind of when it's all dust and settled down, and I look back and I was like, geez, I'd love to be involved in that day. Whereas now it's definitely one of the things that drives me forward. Anyways, um, especially being captain, it would be something that you know it drives me every day to try. To get Connacht, obviously we're in a, in a good position in the Challenge Cup, and we've we're in a good position with the league, and it's definitely about trying to play them, you know, them memorable games. Like even the fact I wasn't playing, driving into the Murrayfield on the day in 2016 was something that, you know, any of the lads who were on the bus will never forget. Like it was absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. So it was <laughs> when when it was happening, you never really like so when when you look back at 2016, it was kind of a weird one because you don't really. You're inside, I guess, inside this little bubble all the time. So, the I suppose the the peaks and the ecstasy of it, you never, it never kind of really penetrated the inside of the camp because it was just kind of next game, next game. Um, and I'd love to know what someone like Mull, what Mull felt, you know, when the final whistle went because, you know, he's been there since the very very beginning. Eric Elwood has been there since the very very beginning. Whereas, you know, a lot of us came into this Connacht squad where. Granted, it wasn't as it wasn't. Uh, I'm going to say massively successful, but the, it it had kind of changed the the mindset had changed from where it'd been to where it was now. Like we were, you know, it was we were winning mo- we were winning all our home games, bar maybe one or two a season. Um, so I'd say for someone like a mole or that the the jubilation that they would have had the the internal satisfaction they would have had would have been something completely different to maybe, uh a Tom McCartney who came from New Zealand, came from Auckland. Like they only know, they would only know McConnock that was successful, you know what I mean? Whereas others wouldn't. Um, don't know, I kind of went down a big rabbit hole in that, but it was... Uh... No, it's 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 quite insightful because I was, I was going to ask about that day and you've, you've covered it brilliantly. So kind of, we'll focus on the lighter side of things because obviously it was a famous day for Connacht. I know you weren't playing and that that is tough in and of itself. No, I'm sure. I, I, as bad as it sounds, I don't think I, I wouldn't change anything because I think if I had changed it to be to play that day, I don't think I'd be the person or the player. I don't think look, and I could be looking at this completely stupidly, but I think if you look back on them, them days with a uh, thing that you're like, geez, I, I should have been there. Or I wish I was there. That's just like a, a horrific outlook to have in life. I don't think. I was meant to be there. I think it was, you know, written mm-hmm. the stars that I wasn't due to, like it wasn't for me. And all the things that came after that uh, came about because of what had happened previously. And that's like, as I said, that's an, an admirable viewpoint because it is very easy. I suppose one, 
one thing that us as fans often talk about is like we don't really know the sports person psyche it's so different to our own we don't like you've got sports psychologists you got the likes of tackle your feelings working with the IRFU you got so many great people to put you in the right mindset and as you said you used a day like that to go on and to go on and play for Ireland to make it to work up to play six nations like that is something that a lot of us wouldn't understand and if if in this may um on that that friday night in the may if connacht are challenge cup winners you're going to be saying well i was meant to be in this one as opposed to, you know and that's and at, at least you're able to you could say a bit of awareness I, I don't think it's awareness it's just a case of moving on enjoying enjoying the couple of days that it was or a couple of weeks I, <laughs> it, it was it was quite the, days, quite days. the day in Galway um at the homecoming but like it's 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 an admirable take to, to sit back and say I wasn't there but I you know you still have your medal you still enjoyed it and that's and it spurred you on to be as I said before a, a Jack Carthy with 200 caps for Connacht you know yeah no nah, look it's definitely one of them things that it's only a, as I said earlier, it's only a bad experience if you don't make something out of it. You know what I mean? I think that goes for for everything in in life, really. And that's that's great. And I'm sure I I I I do hope. Like I, funnily enough, before we recorded this, I was on an, an Ulster podcast, which I feature on every once in a while. So if it's an Ulster comic final, I I can't be saying I hope one he wins it. You know, but if it, if you do go on to win, and I I do hope you do. Like it would be, it would be great for for yourself personally and for other lads as well. But as you yeah. said, in in some ways, it as does, well, it does it, look it, like it could be an, an Ulster um, Connacht uh, round round of sixteen. Season. Yeah, well, that's this this episode will go up after the fact. But if it, if it does happen, it'll be a it'll be a cracking night and go anyway. Yeah. The last yeah, every Connacht Ulster game and go, it seems to go down to the wire. But yeah. we'll just we'll just probably move on to a yeah, little no, bit of an easier note just for a just for a minute. I have a couple of quick fire questions here. So maybe not first name that comes into your head, but one of the first names that come into your head. So who's the toughest opponent you played against? Strange one. Played Buccaneers against Balnahinch in Dubarry Park. Can't remember what year it was. And Ian Witten, who played with Exeter, proved on that he was the toughest on that day and I think I had I don't know how many tackles I missed on him um so I'm gonna say Ian Witten in 20 geez could have been 2010 geez, that's that's a good one actually last time because I asked this question last interview did you, you said Matt Kvesic who is a very similar yes. tough to bring yeah. down type because yeah. he eat a bit of a rivalry with Gloucester for a few years at one yeah. point as well didn't he I was from Ireland under 18s Matt Kvesic yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't. He, I wouldn't like to tackle him now myself, to be honest. <laughs> um, who's the toughest teammate you, the past or present? Um, I'm gonna say Mole toughest in the fact that his his robustness, like he always trained every Monday up until, like when players get older, they, like naturally, there's a decline in terms of their availability. Mole. Up until the last day he played with Connacht, never missed a Monday, never missed any days of training, which I thought was yeah, he's hard as nails. That's that's amazing. That that could go on the uh, as a quote on Twitter because yeah. I'm sure any talk about John Muldoon from Connacht fans, they'll just they'll just reap it in the you know he's a legend. Um, yeah. best best player you've played with, so maybe not in terms of toughness, but best yeah. overall. Uh. I'm gonna say Colby Fainga. Okay, no, yeah. he did win. He won Players Player of the Year, I believe, didn't he? So yeah. you must have respected yeah. him a lot. Oh yeah, as a player bloke, he'll he'll struggle to come across as good a fella. Um, best player you played against? Hmm. Would have caused me, would have caused a lot of issues. Actually, trying to think first comes to my head. Uh, right, I'm trying to think provincial. Let me think. Come back to me. I've okay. done a blank. I, I, I did that many. one at the end. It's too I, many. I, 
<laughs> that's that's a good excuse to have. Who's your who's your favorite player growing up? Uh, say Johnny Wilkinson or Dan Carter. I always be Carter fan myself actually. Um, well, what's your career highlight to date? Um, first, I'm gonna say. Uh, first start for Ireland. Millennium Stadium was my favorite. It's my favorite stadium. Um, against Wales, win a man the match or Cardiff at home, twenty nineteen, where we had to win. Um, must win game. Uh, played really well. Um, just yeah, them two I think. Yeah, I remember that game. That was a good game of rugby actually. Um, I and I was going to say best away ground. So will we go with Millennium or do you want to add in another one? No, Millennium. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a great place. Um, any interests outside of rugby or even outside of sport? Uh, yeah. So I've been trying to kind of broaden this a bit because I kind of I work with um I work with a man called John Cunahan um, uh, Alchemy Consulting. So he's kind of he helps you with leadership stuff. Um. <laughs> personal development various different things he's been he's been massive with me this year um but this is something that we've we've kind of actively worked on to try um because you've kind of we're kind of like what hobbies do you have jack and i was like don't really have any john to be honest <laughs> um so he was like right i want you to go home turn on your playstation because i stopped playing playstation so i tried that uh it wasn't for me um he's like right what else do you do i was like I used to play a bit of golf so i booked golf lessons and now i'm um getting golf lessons and really really enjoying that so um doing a bit of golf with um gary madden in glenlow and then friendy this weekend so as as we're recording this he's going to bring uh, his backgammon set over on the away game this weekend and he's going to teach me how to play backgammon that'll that'll make a quick a trip uh, a trip to newcastle about more than just rugby or the night gotcha. out yeah. Um. Finally, uh, who's your most idolized sports person? And I do remember who you said from last time. In case you go with the same one. Uh. No, I think I'm gonna, I think I've changed, and it's changed recently. I think I'm gonna have to go with Lionel Messi. To be honest, after all the stuff in the World Cup, I think is uh, and I would have been a Ronaldo fan as well. I would have been a Ronaldo. Um. <laughs> but I think Lionel Messi. Yeah, just what he did for what he did for his country under the scrutiny and pressure that he did. Um. Who did I say before? Roy Keane. No, you went with Mark Pollock, actually. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. L- local enough. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to be fair, you can't begrudge. Everyone says Messi at the moment, but you can't begrudge it. It was, it was a great World Cup. It was a great yeah. crowning achievement. And hopefully, hopefully, Johnny Sexton gets the same on with Ireland in a couple yeah. of months' time. Even if, he's, even if he's sitting in the stands, who cares? It'll, yeah. We'll take it. We interrupt the interview briefly for a word for our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by M6 Motors. Located in Bandeslaw in County Goa, M6 Motors brings a combination of value and innovation to their renowned car sourcing. With unbeatable quality, prices and service, backed up with a name you can trust. You can call them on 090-96-45801 or follow them on social media at M6 Motors on Facebook or Instagram or call in store today. Now back to the podcast. We'll move on from not the lighter stuff, but somewhat lighter for a minute. Um, so into the Andy Friend era now. Um, hard to believe it's nearly five years he's been there, and you could argue that this is where it went from being kind of as you touched on yourself, just Jack Carty Connacht out half to Jack Carty talisman with Connacht. <coughs> Has your relationship, maybe not as a personal relationship with Andy Friend, been a big part of this? Would you? Do you think he has been a big reason as well as in how you've pushed on or is it just kind of just maturing as well? Like obviously coaches are a big part because you see them as much as you see anyone else. But do you think that relationship helped you push on to be the player that you are? Um, definitely. I think there's a, I think Friendly knows he's a, he's a very emotionally intelligent person. And I think he knows how to get the best from players. He knows how to look after players who are struggling. Um, um, I think I remember having a conversation, having a conversation with him previously, and it was, uh, I think it was around that time, and I was talking about, you know, I want to reach reach my potential, this sort of stuff. And he was like, he kind of corrected me. He's like, it's not about 
because there's no issue with players getting to their potential. But if you say potential, you get to like a ceiling. It's about the unrealized potential that you have. And I remember when that kind of struck a chord with me when I was speaking to him about it. Um, and that was in 20, that was 20, that was 2018 when I was, you know, that season had went really, really well. And I was like, geez, I think I'm starting to, you know, hit my potential. And he was like, no, 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 you've got it wrong. It's the unrealized potential. The, um, I think is it again, his emotional intelligence is just um incredible. I think out of any of the coaches I've had at any level, um, or even I'm gonna say any people I've met, I think his understanding, um, I've seen him go above and beyond for a lot of people um in rugby, done things for players that he didn't need to or didn't have to, but because of the person he is, he looked after them. Um that being said, he's you know it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows with him. He's, we've had tough conversations, you know, when I wasn't playing, when I wasn't playing particularly well, I wasn't like when I came back from the World Cup, I wasn't being picked. Um, so I, f- I feel with, with that, he's extremely fair. And I think that's all you, you want from, from a culture that he doesn't have his favorites. He doesn't have people who he treats differently, treats everyone the same. Um, I think that's, you know, definitely some, some of his strengths. And that's probably all you can ask for in a coach. Like, yes, you ask for tactical and advice and all that, but you do want someone who is going to put the arm around you when you need it and is going to, for lack of a better word, give you the kick up the arse when you need it as well. Like, you need you need both, don't you? And in fairness to friend and anyone I've ever spoken to, Connacht fans or Connacht people, they, it's not the fact that he has brought success on the pitch that they like him. It's because... He's just a likable person, do you know? And I, I actually, I listened to a, a Heineken Road show before that he was on with Off the Ball, and he was like, you know, if anyone ever wants to wants me to pop out to their to their team in a junior club or an underage club, I'll do it. And it's these are the small things. And if if he's doing that to people he doesn't know, of course he's going to be the same to you guys. You know, your your coworkers. Do you know? Um, that was the season. So his first or second season was, or first season, I think it was, was when you came into your own. You won your first cap against Italy in the Six Nations. Second cap was against France. I was, I was there myself. And then against Wales to, to cap off playing the whole the last three games. You were in the Guinness Pro 14 Dream Team for the first time that year. And Connacht returned to the playoffs in, I think that was the first first time it was played in that format. Yeah. When when you hit form like that, it does it come easily because of like your style of play? Like like you're not the most rigid player in the world. There is that kind of swashbuckling nature to it. Does does it come easy to you when when you actually reach that form? Does it come easier? Um, I I I do think with me personally, it takes a ramping style. I I. I, I do need a couple of games to get into it. And I think you probably, we probably saw that over the Christmas where I was, I actually was poor from, I was poor in a few of the games. Um, and I think I got gradually, gradually better. I got to the Sharks game was okay. And then got to breathe last week, which I would have said was um, one of my better games this season. So um, I do think when you hit, you do, you do kind of come in and out of form, I think, What's important is if you're out of form and you're in form, the things that you're doing outside of that don't change. Like just because you're playing really, really well, that doesn't mean that you take fucking excuse my language, take a few sessions off. Um, but I do think, yeah, when you come in kind of when you come into form, it just you have a little bit you have an air, more of an air of confidence about you. You're, you know, the willingness to try different things, like I suppose at the weekend, um, in terms of that cross kick, like looking back now I was like gee I was like what was I doing did a winger there I didn't actually see him but thankfully you know port you make your own look I guess um yeah. and like they're the type of things I do in training or I do you know what I mean so Porchy's on a, a similar mental um thing to me that he was kind of aware and ready for it but I do I do think when it comes it does when you are riding the crest like a wave like that it's about you know stretching that out for as long as you can um and by doing, I suppose, the things that people don't want to do, the little one percenters, I think you enable yourself to do that. 
Yeah, and that's funnily enough, that was kind of going to be my next point. Do you change Anthem? But obviously you don't. You do you have to keep doing the same things, otherwise it'll it'll slip away. And it's probably the same for, for most athletes, really. I know everyone has their own thing, but you know, if you look at any golfer in particular, if they win a major, they're not going to take a month off because their game will go to shreds. And it's probably the same with you. And like you as a place kicker, you couldn't go a month or eight weeks without kicking even if you were 100 percent for a full month beforehand you couldn't just stop because things will just go away and you go back to a possibly a bad pattern so it's probably the same in that regard but then with the with the mental side and all that just because that was you kind of touched on at the at the very very start it was a bit of a whirlwind year um we're kind of focused on the positives I know a few people who were at the World Cup in Japan. They said it was unbelievable. Did you enjoy it from a, a purely being in Japan at a World Cup kind of experience? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I'd love to. I'd love to do it again. Um, yeah, I'd love to turn back the clocks in that respect because I think there was it. It, it is tough to enjoy it because you are aware that you're there for a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, the experience. Um, was phenomenal um like especially the build up to the Scotland game the build up to the, the Japan game was was incredible um like I'm trying if I had it again would I do anything different I don't think I would um Everton I think was the same like I I, I look back on that the the Japan game which we'll probably get into and I'm kind of like well would I change different things in terms of how I played probably maybe one or two things in terms of you know um in terms of how we played as a team, but again, that I I played the first half in terms of how I was the player, and I thought that we were we were in a really good position, and it just kind of you know that that Japan team, the level of training that they did, the way that they played, the pace that they played at, they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, it was yeah, it was it was a it was one of the best experiences, and then one of the most one of the worst experiences, if you get me, because on a on a personal level experiencing a cultural cultural thing like that getting to play in the world cup um was something that you dream of your whole life then obviously with the way it kind of ended in terms of getting knocked out at a quarterfinals again it was obviously um, massively disappointing um but yeah it was i suppose yeah you got to take the bad with the or take the good with the bad or bad with the good yeah and that's that's probably the nature of, of top end sport in some ways and the fact that sometimes the best days are sandwiched between bad days and vice versa. You know, if you win a semi-final and you lose a final, like you forget the semi-final, no matter how incredible it is. That's just the nature of sport. And like that Japan game, I think the thing we often forget, because obviously the World Cup is amplified. It's a huge thing. It'll be the same in France. And people kind of look and they're like, how'd you lose Japan? But Ireland started so, so well that day, even with the injuries and all that. Like he started really, really well and it just goes downhill. And we're not going to, I don't have a packet here for to analyze the entire game or anything like that. But like just as a dressing room afterwards, like you need a, a short turnaround for the next game. Do you just have to park it? Like, and this is the same with Connacht as well. When you've losses that you don't like, you know, do you just have to park and like, right, it's done. Like we, we forget about it. Once we, once we leave this dressing room, we're done. Or is there that kind of, I don't want to say wallow in in yourself, but just... Ah, definitely, you, you definitely do. Like, say for example, say the game against um, say the game against Ulster, for example, over Christmas. That was on the twenty third. We played awfully. I had a poor game. It just sits. You you want to you know you want to address the performance as a group. Um, but because we Christmas it stayed with you the twenty fourth, the twenty fifth, the twenty sixth, and it was uh. It was a distraction. I've been brutally honest with you. It nearly it made your Christmas less enjoyable because you knew you had this um, hanging over you. However, I've got a lot better. Like usually, previously in the earlier start of my career, I determined my complete self worth worth based off my performances on a rugby pitch, and then I also base it off other people's like interpretations or other people's um, valuation of me as a player. And that was literally how I based myself. Um, and I definitely think as I've got older and more mature, um, I've managed to like get away from that, separate myself because I'm not I'm not Jack Carty, the rugby player. I'm Jack Carty who plays rugby, and I think um, 
it's with that I've I've matured in, in a in a way that I can kind of differentiate, you know, Jack Carty at work. And then when I finish, you know, I, I can I can kind of take myself out of that. Obviously over Christmas it was it was a very unique experience because we'd we'd played poorly, we'd lost, and then we we weren't able to address it for three days. Speaking on the Japan game, I suppose when you look when I'm trying to look back on it, um I can't even really remember the I, I remember one of the few things I remember is getting onto the bus after the game and our good friend Gavin Comiskey, I think, had tweeted directly at me a few a few times. I think he has something against uh players who wear green jerseys that are aren't that aren't from uh that aren't from um east of the Shannon, but I think he was the first the first one to kinda of, and I was like, Oh, here we here we go. Um I think that was really the only thing I can remember. I remembered after it. I I probably didn't think of it as a big thing. So I actually thought I'd played quite well. I was like, oh look, look, really disappointed. But we win next week. We're still going to be in the quarterfinal. Um and we obviously did that. And then unfortunately or oh, won the next two games, but unfortunately then we were we got knocked out. Yeah, and it's it's a shame that you remember a certain being tagged in tweets or whatever it is, Instagram or like because I have written here, it's it's very easy to avoid a newspaper in this day and age. Because not like in fairness, this day and age, not many people read them. But yeah. it's very hard to avoid your DMs and to avoid the tagged tweets and things like that. And I see it like I, I don't get that many impressions on, on my own Twitter. But if someone was tagging a player, I would probably be prone to just delete the comment because like you don't know how a player reacts. Like even if you win and like let's just say you make that kick against Ulster and you win and it's a, it's a good feeling, but you're you're not feeling well because you didn't play well. Like you you don't know, and that's like it's it's the sad reality of sport in 2023 now because it's like you 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 can switch off in some regards in the way that you know as I said you you can choose not to read articles. It's very hard to avoid your notifications and your your dms and all that like it must be very hard for you and not just yourself but for any player in this day and age yeah i definitely think for younger players it's uh it is it is tough look it's you kind of become not i'm gonna say numb to it but you definitely um you definitely kind of get used to it in some respects i think there is you know there's there's certain journalists definitely within ireland that have their own kind of um, feel on things and kind of push their own 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 agendas on what players they like or dislike, particularly the the person I just mentioned there earlier on. But look, um, like it's yeah, it is mad. Some of these you you, you kind of you have people who will you know tweet something at you and then you might walk by them in the street and they won't uh, they won't even look at you or they'll say hi to you. It's it's absolutely mind boggling. I think then another thing. With it, with with players, I I had an experience there a few weeks ago where, just because you're seen as a rugby player, and this is a bit, this is a thing I try to speak to a lot of players about, because you're seen as a rugby player, you're you're seen to not be allowed to have, players are afraid to give their perspective or their or their views on things outside of things outside of rugby, even sorry some things inside of rugby, the way that it the way that it goes that if you have an opinion on something, uh, you get like a gaslit for it in, in certain things um mm. it's 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 i'd love I'd, i would love if you kind of if players had more of a um a voice um and you know got their different personalities across you kind of see it in england a bit more you kind of see that there's players with a lot more personality i don't know if it's a thing that players are afraid to to voice their opinions because of you know uh being reprimanded by their employers or because of the backlash they may have Pre, they may feel the gap, but I think what what rugby does, unfortunately, is you, you're an individual. When you go into the system, I think so many players get molded into the same kind of person and molded into the same sort of viewpoint that when they come out of come out the end, they like they struggle to have their own views at times because they've been in this kind of box that everyone kind of sit, thinks quite similarly. And um, that's only something I've kind of recently. Yeah. felt um... no and it's it's i'm not going to say it's noticeable because i've i've been at man i've listened to many interviews with different players and podcasts and different things and some of them are brilliant to get their personality across. a lot of them are a lot of them are the exact same but yeah like that's that's the, the other side of it, i think it's a i think it's 
a lot of it is like you're taught yeah it's it, it it's something that frustrates me and then he, but even then when you when you do try to give your opinion on things i had one there a few weeks ago and uh and i was i was because it's one of my first few ones i was like i've been trying to do it more and one mm-hmm. uh, one person replied it was kind of like it was very similar to the just shut up and dribble thing from um in america it was kind of like who what do you have an opinion on this for your rugby player and I got like fucking the, my cortisol and all went up. I was like, oh, geez, delete my tweet. And then I kind of when I settled down later on, I was like, why did I delete that? Like, I'm I'm allowed to have my own like feelings and views on things. I shouldn't be able to. I shouldn't be having to delete it just because someone, I suppose, fucking yeah. tried gaslighting. I don't. And, but... Yeah, and funnily enough, um, in recent weeks as well, I had a a player in my mentions. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name them. But it was an Irish international who was talking about an incident that happened in England, and people might be able to piece this together, like a, a high-profile yeah. incident yeah. in England over Christmas. And he came out and said, "Like, listen, I've never heard this language. I've never used this language myself. Like, let's not defend it." And that was about the incident in question. He got lost. Then sport. one player. Then some player said he got. Uh, he got called something when he was playing in Connacht I saw something like that as well I, I didn't see that but what I had was the person that he was replying to blocked me for some reason even though I never weighed in on the debate so that's just a sign of the Twitter the Twitter yeah, cognoscenti sometimes unfortunately, and I know we're going into something completely different in terms of in terms of free speech and everything like that but people you know they want to they'll they they want to voice their own opinion but if someone else doesn't if they're if someone else voices theirs and it's not the same as theirs then immediately just go block them and it's it's i don't know it's just yeah it's mad and i've I've seen it like i've seen it from no no one i i haven't been blocked by too many people i've i've noticed i've been blocked but like i just give opinions on things but like a part of my twitter thing is like i did a thread the other day about the back three options that Ireland have at the moment. And it's it's a healthy position. But like you could very easily tweet something and let's just say, now I covered everyone that was in contention, but let's just say I left out Mac Anson. Now I'm sure Mac would laugh at it given the character that he is. But someone could come in then and be like, oh my God, why are you like you hate Connacht or whatever? It's like, no, I don't. It's been a mistake. And that is just the nature of it. And then tell you where, the player, tell you where I think is one of the, and I've learned not, never to look again. Is the people who abuse people on the forty-two comments? I've yeah, like that's oh, some. Of I, I'm I'm a member of the forty-two, but I don't use their comments. Like it's yeah, no, it's too the stuff that they put out on the forty-two is great. But I yeah, I remember someone one of my mates screenshot me something there, uh, maybe two years ago, and he's like, "Oh, I got your back here," and I was like, "Man, what are you doing? You don't need <laughs> to do doing that." But look, I know I under I get some people are quite quite passionate about it, and I, I'll I'll you know. I, I've defended players yourself. I've defended other players as well. But like it's sometimes there's just no winning. And and then bringing it back to what we're what we're discussing, like I'm not a player. I have six hundred followers on Twitter, and there's a good chance two hundred of them are bots that I didn't even notice. Like, but that's just that's just me. And then there's someone like you, and you've like you're adored by thousands of Connacht fans, and you know everyone, every big rugby fan in Ireland would know you. And then it's like. Which is like an awful lot of them are just going to say mean things for the sake of being mean. Like there's there's people who are rugby fans and genuinely you don't know if they're rugby fans because they're just taking things out on on players. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's wrong. Like I'd never do it personally. I know plenty of people who I'm friendly with who'd never do it, but unfortunately it's the reality. And you do hope that. Yeah, look, I think I think as a player, you 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 know what you're getting you're getting yeah. into and I think there's good training there for lads that they, they kind of understand kind of and you, you've, where, you've where done to work get your with, validation from yeah and you've done work with tackling your feelings and all them and they're available to you which is which is yeah. good as well yeah John but we'll we'll move off that that was that was quite a tangent um and go back to to this season for Connacht so you've a place in the playoffs and a place in next season's Champions Cup they're still within reach. There's, I believe it's um, the Lions that you play after Newcastle. Yeah. I'm right. Um, are you confident that you can go on the run that you I need? Def- because... Yeah, I definitely think so. I think with the, we obviously extremely difficult start to the season, um, got ourselves back into contention at the Ulster game. We were bitterly disappointed about because it was a massive, massive game for us, I think. Um, 
the running we have previously before we would be hitting we would have hit our peak in around Christmas and you would have seen quite a I suppose a, a gradual decline in our performances whereas now I think we're we've done it in a way where we're going to be able to bang out performance after performances throughout the season um Friday we're obviously very lucky with with injuries which I touch wood we are and um, we also have I suppose a challenge cup um which is something as players we've spoken about massively in terms of a massive motivation for us to go to go and win so um yeah we've we've a lot to play for and I think the the fixtures we have if you take and um, not to say that any fixtures like we've done our South Africa trips we've played our Irish provinces so in theory on paper we've the tougher games tougher games um gone and done I think we've quite a good few games at home as well and I, I don't know who who it was exactly I think it was Russ Petty on Twitter who did a a breakdown of each team's kind of not strength of schedule because you played the same teams but just the arc of when your tough games are and for instance I think Munster had them right in the middle you have them at the, the very start like going to Belfast and then going to South Africa and then playing two more interpros against Munster and Connacht is a pretty daunting start but you do have slightly nicer games to come you've got Edinburgh and Cardiff who are both at home this year, which is nicer than going away, but you do have Cardiff away. So, like, it, it's within reach. And then in the Challenge Cup, I don't know if anyone truly understands the format of the Challenge Cup this year because they've had to change it due to... I don't. Due to, yeah, I, I don't either. I, but they've had to change it due to the Wasps and Worcester being being kicked out. But is that another one that you're just... Like, is a he- like is Challenge Cup... I don't want to say you were less focused towards it, but obviously you rotated a bit over the Christmas. Yeah. Is it is it now a case of right from here on in, this means just as much as an interpro in Galway, or it means just as much as any other game? Um, I kind of look. It I know it sounds very cliche, but with the way our season is at the moment, every game. I'm not gonna even say because of every game, it feels like a must win now. Um, I'm not gonna say they because we've kind of got to a place I think where interpros are, if they feel similar to a lot of the games. Like I know the game against Treviso we had after the Munster game that was a must win game, so it felt similar to uh, an interpro. The game last week felt like a must win because we had to win it. Whereas the game and the game next week against the Lions again is another must win. It's like every game is a is a must win so um, and then, no, and I think fun, yeah and funnily enough like I just recorded a podcast before this about Ulster and I said it's both the best and worst place to be when you have to win every game because if you do start winning you have immense confidence but if you do lose a couple of games then it, it, it deflates you a lot but hopefully with the fixtures you have it's Newcastle next but you're already guaranteed of going through and at the time of recording Bristol just today received a points deduction whether that'll be appealed, that, that's subject to to see. But moving back to the league and the URC, and as I'm a proud advocate, advocate for uh, the West League, but as a player, do you think the South African sides have brought a clear improvement? And I don't want to, this to be seen as disrespecting any of the other teams, but they're like the Stormers are top quality, the Bulls, the Sharks are top quality. Do you think there's a, a, a noticeable um, improvement in the standard, not just of the league, uh, but just of 100%. them in general. Hundred percent, yeah. <clears throat> it, yeah, definitely. It's without question that they've strengthened the league, and in that, in that, the teams outside of the African teams have improved as well. So, you know, you can see how obviously how how good Treviso have been this year, um, how good the Ospreys and the Ospreys are in a resurgence, Edinburgh are in a resurgence, Glasgow, um, you know, all the teams now are. No, there's no, there's no easy games. And it is like for a fan, I would have defended the pro, pro twelve and pro fourteen and pro whatever number it was during COVID, because I felt like just, just simply because the Irish sides, um, used it to their advantage, and we probably manipulated a bit to our advantage with player welfare rules and things like that. But I do think the URC is distinguishable right now, and I, I genuinely do believe that you'd have to be incredibly ignorant to the cause if you think that the URC isn't at the same level as the top 14 
or the premiership at the moment because I, it, it does from purely watching on TV and watching the, the improvements across the board as you said and the South African teams have helped this like it's it's a very good product as as horrible of a word as that is used it is a very good product at the moment yeah it, no look it is and you can see definitely the the Rock Nation who are obviously involved in it they've brought a different kind of um how would you say it? It, it, it's a different product I suppose it, like using that word there but it's very different to what it was um and look the South Africans bring their own you know their own viewership with it the South Africans are very passionate and outlandish in their in their views and stuff as well which you know makes it all that that bit interesting um definitely as a player yeah and that that's like I'm sure the trips to South Africa are daunting you're one of the few teams to have won there down there um you bet the Lions down there last year but it is it is different and there are there are like I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say there are clearly things that have to be worked out in terms of them flying to Doha and things like that but it is it is improved and it is good to see the only thing is if I have to hear that Jay-Z song five minutes before a game one more time I might scream it just it wrecks <laughs> my head it's a good song it just wrecks my head but to finish up Jack, and it's it's been really good so far, like really, really good. You're you're in your thirties. You were strongly moved, linked with moves abroad. No, I'm not gonna ask you, you know, about the details of them or anything, don't worry. But were was there always a hope? And this is kind of tapping into that psyche again. Were you always just hoping like if I can stay in conduct, I will, because it is your team since you were a child like it's the team that you you love like is that something because so often people say oh it's a it's a money move but not every move is about money some moves are just simply you know they, i wasn't offered a contract and sometimes you just want to stay like did you just want no, to look, stay I, I, it was it was at a, it was at a thing where it was you know it was covid um it was kind of a thing right if i don't move now i probably won't ever move and it was to go to like a top 14 team very historic team and basically kind of had basically had a degree and I was kind of like right I'm going to give myself a couple of days just to think over this um and I just kind of like was like you know what I want to try play for Ireland again I want to continue playing with Connacht um and then just made the decision decision to stay um and look again, it wasn't. If it was a, if it was a thing from, it was a money thing. I would have, you know what I mean. I would have gone. Whereas, I wanted to be closer to family. I wanted to stay with Connacht. If, you know, if Connacht had went on and won something and were successful, and I wasn't a part of it between between then and I retired, you know, it absolutely killed me. So, it was that element and the motivation then to, you know, ensure that that happens before the time I, the time I finish. And it's another. If I'm right, there's another two years left in your deal, or another. Yeah, and it goes past this season anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've another two and a half years this season plus two. Yeah. So is it is it nailed on your head? Do you retire and go away, or if uh, I'll see, I'll see how that my body is and kind of see how family and stuff is. Obviously, Luke has done a few bits with um, a few bits with America. Obviously, I'd I'd love to play with Ireland again, but you know, I I, I need to ensure that I'm I'm playing well. I'm probably past that you know I'm 30 now I wouldn't be perceived as a, a younger player so I was still you know in I suppose in three years time I'll be 33 coming into another World Cup I'll be eligible for for America so look there's lots of different things that could happen between now and then I could touch wood I can end up getting an injury so you can't really think too too far in advance Um, I'd like to think that maybe I'll finish up playing and playing in Galway retiring Galway or you know you, you could do a six, six months like um in in the MLR if you're lucky enough get somewhere in France but again it kind of it's one of them things that you kind of see how the body is um in two and a half years time I'll be one of the I'll definitely be one of the oldest fellas um when it comes to that point so there'll be a lot of a lot of things will change between between now and then yeah and with the change of the rules a lot of people have gone over who might be eligible for different teams and like you could have a case where yourself and Luke McGrath he's eligible for Canada so you could be playing, or maybe maybe it's maybe it's not you. Maybe you 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 know could get captain the Six Nations like we like, or it could be this summer in the World Cup. But you know you never know. Yourself and Luke McGrath in a um, America's World Cup playoff or whatever they they call it. <laughs> you never know. Like yeah. it, I listen, people have their opinions on the rule, but like if it's there, you might as well you might as well use it. But just when 
the day does come to to hang up the boots, is there anything lined up? Is it punditry, coaching? Like I know you've the family yeah. business. Is is that? Yeah, where you're so I go? do a bit. Um, kind of involved with um a business at the moment. It's called Spot Recruitment. It's with um a, a friend David Butler and with um Killian O'Connor who plays at Mayo. So I'm involved with that, doing a bit with them. Um, and just more kind of a relation relationship sort of manager thing. Um. And then obviously you'll have the the family business, which hopefully will be um yeah hopefully will welcome me into open arms to to go and get into that. It's obviously something that has been there since I've been been a young fella, so it's something that massively motivates me to to get involved in and to to help my hand with. And if if RT or Virgin or Premier Sports came in and said, would you do a, a Connacht versus Ulster game or whatever? Would you would you consider it, or is it just like oh. Uh, I, I maybe I, I I do think you know you have to be when you're an ex player and your punditry. I've seen some players, um, like a Jamie Heaps, for example, and you know you, you have to be very careful when you're when you're. And I think who, someone who does it really well is O'Driscoll. You know he's very fair in terms of how he critiques uh, players and former players and former teammates. Sorry, former teammates and players. Um, but I've seen some players who, you know, forget that they were on the pitch with some of the players or they forget that they were a pro as well and probably made the exact same mistakes as some of the players that they're, you know, talking about. Um, so I, with that, I'd find it probably difficult to go in and do it. Um, maybe if I was a player while still playing and it was, I don't know, an international game or something like that, maybe that would be something that would be... Uh, be open to, but I don't think once I finish, I'd I'd, I'd do it now. That's fair. It is it is tough. Like I think that's the big difference between punditry and analysis. In some ways, punditry is just someone made a mistake, and analysis is you know here's why they made it, and that's that is something Brian O'Driscoll is very good at. I find if you ever hear him talking about defense in particular, like he's he's better than anyone when it comes to talking about defense because he was one of the best defenders of his time. Yeah. And he never, he, he, he does it in a way where the player reading it won't take offense. Whereas I think some do it in a way where if you're reading that as a player, it's like, gee, what are you, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's, we'll leave it at that. I've had taken up way too much of your time. That's been absolutely superb. And there's been great insight, especially around, you know, the world cup and different things and just, being a pro in this day and age and I hope whoever's listening at home enjoyed it just as as much as I did and for everyone listening at home thank you very much for listening and feel free to share with any Connacht fans or rugby nerds the there's a series of episodes coming up another three to come until then you can catch me on Twitter Instagram TikTok and Mastodon at Kalon S Rugby and until next time go easy Sports Social Podcast Network